0: Good evening folks and welcome back on this Saturday, the tenth day of December, two thousand and twenty two. I'm your host, Mark Call. And given the kind of week that it's been on a number of fronts, I'm gonna do something a bit different this evening when it comes to taking a look back at what's going on, and that's uh not only note that yes, we've seen most of this before, we keep getting more information about well, regardless of in which direction you look, how they've been lying to us, trying to cover it up, and the truth just Finally, eventually begins to seep out, more and more Americans are waking up to it, and they keep realizing that, yes, there is truth in humor. Do you know what the difference is between a conspiracy theory and a fact? Well, it used to be about six months, now it's down to just a few weeks. For example, there was another Twitter dump this week. Would you believe they rigged the election, including, obviously, covering up the Hunter Biden laptop story, and then censored anybody who didn't like it or dared to say anything about any aspect of it? So it seems like of late, especially given all of the things that are coming to a head in the economy and the world, with the uh, nuclear war likelihood increasing because people are jonesing for it, with all of the division that's out there, with the, uh, the meltdown that is at this point beyond inevitable, and... Um, The only question is when, how fast will it happen when the wheels continue to come off the wagon, the wheels are off the wagon, the wagon's scooting down the highway, sparks are flying, the only question is, when will people realize it? And as I've said for a long time, not till the shelves at Walmart are empty, but wait a minute, a lot of shelves already are empty, we're seeing reports from places like Costco and others that they're having trouble keeping things stocked, we, uh, we're we watching the development of the maybe, maybe not, on again, off again, railroad strike, you know what, there is a whole lot of stuff coming down, but what I think is kind of fascinating, and the thing I really want to focus on today is, uh, what? does that mean for our local situation? Now, um, a lot of us, I, I have certainly encouraged people, come out of her. If you're in a major leftist, literally far left nutcase city where insanity is unmistakably different, no, where you can't tell the difference between what's going on at the uh, city council meeting and something you might see in one floor of the cuckoo's nest from a few years back, well, you need to get out of there, obviously. I, I've spent some uh, shows of late trying to make the point, hey, you know, by the time you say, I really think I do need to get out of there, if it's not obvious by now, it's almost certainly going to be too late. Today, I want to do something quite a bit different, and that's focus on something else that's uh, that's been on my mind. It's an issue. I think where I'm at, you might call a microcosm of so many places, and let me do a bit of introduction. Um, we are on a, on a mesa at 9,000 feet, way, way removed from a lot of places. The nearest interstate is... Uh, arguably um, almost uh, the better part of two hours, at least an hour and a half in good weather away. Uh, I consider that to be uh, a marginal difference. I just assumed it was a little further away, although once in a while it's, uh, it's handy to have the ability to go somewhere, but um, on the ground that is. Look, the issue is the following. I, I have contended for a long time that we are seeing so much attempt to divide. We're seeing, uh, and I'll say this again, uh, the, the forces we're fighting against are obviously satanically evil and intelligent, and they know precisely what they're doing, and they're seeking to divide, they're seeking to engender hatred, all the while, of course, saying that if you recognize what they're up to, you're the one who's a hater and so forth. You can't argue, folks, that it's effective and it's clever and it's satanically evil. So, again, um what I what I have been kind of focused on, it seems, especially in the last oh, few days, is um, are all the elements of things that kind of appeal at the local level. Let's suppose, uh, like many of the listeners have, and people that I've talked to, maybe maybe we've come out of her, maybe we've moved to the place we need to be. But you know what? The problem is people are still people. And um, while there may be a lot of people that would call themselves conservatives or uh, maybe former uh, uh, military personnel or they have a a, a great affection for the Constitution, they would call themselves patriots or constitutionalists or libertarians or Christians, you name it, there are going to be differences. Isn't that amazing? Well, we're humans. We're going to find differences, and the question is, how can we work together around some of those things? It sounds a lot easier than it is, and what I want to do today is look at some of the the critical issues that have been set up explicitly to be divisive, because again, our adversary is satanically evil, really intelligent, and knows precisely what he's doing. I do have a title for this week's show. I'm going to call it, uh, Are We on Common Ground?, or death's ground, and I've mentioned death's ground before. I uh, will explain that if uh, if people aren't familiar with the term. Uh, it has to do with a military terminology, and that is if you really want soldiers to, uh, soldiers to fight like there's no tomorrow, you put them on what they call death's ground. This was a tactic that's been used throughout military history and uh, is well understood going back millennia. And that is if uh, soldiers fight or if soldiers perceive that they literally they are surrounded, they're either going to fight or die. Well, one of two things will happen. If they haven't been well-trained, they'll just lay down and die. On the other hand, if they have, even though they realize they're going to die, they'll fight like there's no tomorrow because that's the only option. And amazingly enough, some of the great military victories in history, they've made movies about lots of them, but it's when people are put on death's ground and they fight because they have to. And surprise, surprise, they prevail. Uh, yeah, I certainly believe there are uh, lots of elements that we could talk about on that score, including the Creator and um, His blessing and guidance and so forth. But at least for the purposes of the discussion today, I really want to focus on the idea of if we don't have common ground, we may end up finding ourselves on death's ground. Okay, so a little bit more of the introduction. Uh, a lot of this I've certainly talked about before. I've said many times, I um, increasingly... Honestly, I don't see how a civil war can be avoided at this point. Well, wait a second. Yeah, that's true. There is one difference. Because I've also noted that while a civil war may be just about the worst thing that could possibly happen, brother against brother, the kinds of things we've seen before, we hope we don't see again. Well, wait a minute. There is one thing that's worse. What's that? That would be what the left, what the um, intelligent, evil, satanic adversary has planned. And basically it involves death and complete death and a a death on a level most people can't conceive of, right? It's a spiritual battle as well. In other words, the only thing worse than a civil war would be if we don't get one, given what the intent is of the adversary. So um, he comes but to... Kill and destroy, and certainly in the short term, what we're seeing is to divide. All right, now one of the things that I've told the neighbors about for a long time that I think is vital to remember... Um, and I tend to take, as I suspect many of you will, will understand, a, um, a less scriptural approach because we're dealing with all kinds of people. And the question is, you know, what kinds of common ground can we find? Now, everybody that's listened to this show, everybody that has, knows me personally and more intimately already knows where I'm coming from on that score. I'm talking about the new neighbors, the kind of people who, uh-oh, I've been told about you right-wing extremists, right? They're not going to listen. So how do we somehow or other bridge all of these gaps and come together and find quote-unquote, that common ground, and, um, well, not manage to kill each other in the process. So um, what I want to do is just tell a, a brief story. This will kind of help to set the stage. And uh, nothing specific, no names, nothing identifying. But basically, what you'll find, and I'm sure it will be this way in your community, over the last two years, what have we seen? Well, there are the mask wearers. I would call them the Kool-Aid drinkers. Uh-oh, Mike, uh, Mark, you're already being divisive, Right. The Kool-Aid drinkers, those that have been uh, duped into doing something which is medically stupid, and it turns out it's uh, harmful to your health, doesn't solve any problem. Yeah, wearing a mask against COVID is kind of like thinking that a a cyclone fence is going to keep out mosquitoes, right? We've used all these algorithms, all these analogies before. Point is, there are some pretty easy ways that we can identify people who are either going to be, uh, if you will, on our team or not on our team. And the masks are one of them. Uh, how about if people have been duped by the Biden fuhrer? Oh, well, see, then we would get, would get political. Well, this is the intent. Because what I'm going to suggest is, as we look at all of these things that are issues, they have been, they have been explicitly, carefully, satanically designed to be divisive. Isn't that clever? So yeah, there's plenty of blame to go around. One of the things I'll emphasize as we go through here is that uh, once people have become divided, it's really tough to get back to a uh, a place of common ground. And uh, whether we're talking mask wearers or those that believe the world is coming to an end, because booga booga booga, uh, you have a car, how dare you drive that? You aren't as uh, as enlightened as I have, am I? Am because I have a Prius, and the uh, right, I uh, I care about the environment. I have to run my diesel generator to charge my Prius, maybe. No, I'll know. Uh, one of the good things that we don't have to deal with here on the Mesa, folks, is there are no prei running around because, A, they really suck in uh, places where the roads get muddy or snow-packed. And, two, there isn't enough power when you're off-grid to uh, even think about driving a moped that's electric-powered, uh, much less uh, something that, that uses more energy than a gas car but requires it in the form of electricity. Save your money, buy a gas car, spend the money instead on solar panels, and then you don 't have to worry about charging a car. Okay. The point is there are so many things that honestly i uh, I tend to look at it, as regular listeners know and say let 's be real here. The numbers don 't work the uh, The things that people have been duped into believing are just plain stupid and oh gee i 've been accused of being divisive when I use that terminology well i won't tell, i won 't necessarily tell that to somebody 's face. Uh, You know, we try to be politically uh, not correct, but at least um, astute and uh, don't want to insult people and and so forth. But on the other hand. Do I know something? If I see somebody wearing a mask and driving an electric car in a, in a place where there's no way to charge it, yeah, I probably have an idea that they've been drinking the Kool-Aid. Do I tell them to their face? Not necessarily. But do I trust them? Well, there you go. This is what we're talking about. So what I'm looking at, in other words, are a whole lot of ways of saying, hey, given that we have divisions, given that we have things that are deliberate, uh, what can we do? How can we... Begin to come together in a way that is at least something that might get a, might not get a whole lot of people killed. Well, here's an obvious example. Most of the listeners here know that yours truly, the majority of the hosts, the vast majority of the hosts here, and certainly the vast majority of the listeners, ultimately, if, especially if they keep listening, will be Torah obedient. Now, are we a majority? Anybody that's paying attention already knows that the answer is absolutely not. Um, there are agnostics. There are certainly people that would call themselves Christians or evangelicals or other words, uh, other words to to describe themselves. Uh, yes, and even atheists that um, probably on the scale here would be uh, would be worse than any of the other options we consider. So the um, the story boils down to this uh locals are asking themselves the question we we had this so-called neighborhood association that became literally more divisive than not the intent seems to have been almost like they were infiltrated by uh, you know some three letter agency and told uh rat anybody out that uh believes in open carry, that believes in the Constitution, that didn't take the mask, didn't take the poison poke, you you name it, right? And so the neighborhood group has become nothing except a coffee clatch of far leftists that uh, you know won't recognize the truth until it's too late for them. Again, thankfully, it's a very small minority. But they have caused a whole lot of division. So there are those that are saying, well, we need something more inclusive. And uh, there are those that were in and were out of the neighborhood group, as you might expect. And so as a result, um, there are factions, hatreds, and it's gotten to the point where uh, I hear this when I talk to people on both sides of this particular fence. Well, we want to have a group that welcomes everybody, well, except those people, right? Uh, we've, we've heard it. It's almost funny, except it's not when you're dealing with it. So um, one of the things that I'm going to suggest, I'll do this up front, then we'll talk about some of the other practical elements here in a second. But uh, sometimes I think it's helpful to kind of come to the conclusion first and then see if it doesn't fit. This is assume a solution of the form that I learned in differential equations class years ago. And then see, hey, it actually works. Can I prove why? Well, no, that's a tougher order. But can I recognize something that has worked and say maybe it'll work again? You betcha. So, on the scale of things that have worked before, I will contend that probably the best example ever written... Originally in the in the English language was penned in where else Philadelphia in seventeen seventy five into seventeen seventy six uh, you know the document it was signed uh, passed on July second signed mostly on July the fourth of seventeen seventy six called the Declaration of Independence and I will suggest and when it comes to the kinds of things at least that um, we ought to be able to mostly come together on no can it can it be completely no, but on the other hand. Uh, Honestly, folks, if people can't sign up for what I'm getting ready to suggest, I don't think I want anything to do with them, really. I don't trust them. And uh, let's be real and let's be frank here. If they've been taking the poison poop and the boosters and their intent to continue taking boosters 5 and 6 and 7 and wearing those masks, we probably aren't going to have to worry about them for a whole lot longer anyway. I refer to them uh, whether people like to hear it or not, and uh, I won't necessarily, although I did just yesterday, tell a fellow to his face um, who was willing to listen. That was part of the reason why I was blunt with him. You have taken the the booster? Yeah, but you know better now. Well, I'm not sure. Okay, let me give you some, some information. And um, I think the bottom line is he will listen. And I hope and pray that individuals like that will listen and will recognize, I can't keep killing myself. I can't keep injecting. So with all of that on the table, the point is uh, those who are bound and determined to kill themselves and to take as many people with them as they, they possibly can, honestly, I don't want them in my team because they're not on my team. They're working for the adversary, and let's just be frank about it. So what can we agree on? I think the vast majority of Americans, especially those that weren't public school indoctrinated or don't live in the leftist cesspools, would say, hey, here's one. goes like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And no, I'm not going to argue whether that includes women. It did. And the people that are literally able to recognize that are the ones that you want on your team. Anyway, if they're going to argue about it, let's just be again honest. They're probably uh, not going to go for the rest of this either. All right. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator. Right there. So at this point, I will pause because you know the rest of the verse. Uh, or the uh, the statement, the paragraph anyway, and I'll ask this. This is the question that I have contended for uh, 25 years now. Is the most important question that you can ever ask a potential candidate for office, or for that matter, uh, somebody that you might want to call a friend and a neighbor in a time of real extreme stress, and that is, where do your rights come from? Where do your rights come from? If the answer is you don't have any rights except the ones I give you, I don't think, again, that I'm going to turn my back on that person when there's no food to be had. So back to the Declaration. Essentially, what we're saying is the people that are worth trusting, the people that would be worth having as allies in a time that we're, well, we're there, are those that can understand Yeah, we have rights that come from God. Do we have to agree on what his name is? Do we have to agree on when his Sabbaths are? Do we have to agree on what he said about food? Well, it's helpful. All of those things are important. All of us would argue that. I will teach them, walk in them myself, and not be deterred from doing the right thing. But when it comes to this simple ability to come together on common ground, we hold these truths to be self-evident. There is a Creator He has endowed us with certain unalienable rights. I don't care if people mispronounce the word, but that's the way it should be pronounced. And you probably heard me talk about it, so I won't repeat it. Among these are life, liberty, and property. Well, they found a more poetic way of saying the same thing. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. By the way, if um, your property doesn't include your body, and the pursuit of happiness doesn't include the ability to say, I don't want to take the Zyklon B injection, see, we, we have a disconnect here again. So all of these things I think are are important and they are really an excellent way of coming together on common ground. Now, in um, in small places, in off-grid places like this one, certainly you're going to find that the vast majority of people, even some that would lean way left, certainly recognize that, hey, you know when it snows and you drive your car off in a ditch or you have a flat tire or you're out and your, your car won't start and you, you can't make it home? It's really helpful to be able to call somebody. That's part of the reason why I have amateur radio um Club on the on the mesa here, and we've uh, we've encouraged lots more people to get their ham licenses because there's far better communications. If you can't uh, talk to somebody because you're out of cell phone range, and that's often common, how are you going to call them and ask, uh, please help me get out of the ditch, help me change your tire, help me start my car? I need a jump. Any of those things. So again, the point is, the majority of people understand. That when you're living off-grid, you have a greater interdependence. It's helpful to have friends and neighbors. And this is why even the social aspects of being able to get together and have coffee and and so forth, they're all important. But um, if we see a place, and we're there, where there has been so much division over the, I'll say it again, and this is part of the reason why I'm on the other other camp, right? The division over the mask idiocy. I was surprised. I, I had to go into town earlier this week. Uh, the big town, Denver. What a place that I don't miss having to be, and it was a long, long drive. But in any case, I actually still saw people wearing masks. I hadn't seen people wearing masks in a while. I think out out here in the hinterlands, especially even in the small towns of southern Colorado, rural areas, people have long since figured out, hey, that was stupid. Why did I ever do that? And uh, they'll admit it. Uh, whereas um, it, it it blew me away. Now there were no, by no means, a majority. But it surprised me how many people walking various streets and malls and shops in Denver were still sucking the Kool-Aid and having to take their mask off to do it, and then they put it right back on. So again, uh, let's uh, as we go to break, I'll introduce a couple of examples of the kinds of things that I will suggest are um, just ripe for division, and they'll they'll serve to help us. Well, how do we how do we deal with this? How do we how do we understand it? Um, what kinds of things can we do? to work our way into a place where we at least um, trust each other enough that you're not worried somebody's going to kill you for food. Now, that's a tall order, but here we go. So uh, one of those things, here's, here's a topical, timely element. And I think probably a lot of people have uh, have come to terms with it. I've certainly done shows, even this show, in years past about it. Merry Christmas, right? We're coming up on one of the high pagan holy days of the. Oh, oh, did I say it that way? Yeah, folks. I mean, let's be real. Most of us know Yeshua Hamashiach. No, not Jesus. Uh, uh, that was never the name that his mama called him. And if he did away with the law, we're not talking about the same guy. That's the Mashiach, who in fact was the Torah made flesh. All right, we could we could talk about all of those things. But when it comes to a simple Merry Christmas, they're going to say, well, I'm trying to celebrate the birth of my Savior. Okay, great. To the extent that they probably don't want to hear it and aren't going to listen anyway, I don't have a problem with a phrase or a, a so-called holy day that I know isn't holy. It's not got anything to do with the real Mashiach. But on the other hand, uh, hey, wait a minute. Those people that hate the term are either Torah observant Um, non-pagans, and that would be a tiny minority, or far more likely, they're atheists who hate anything associated with the Bible, right? So it's kind of one of those heads I win, tails you lose, division things again. So what I'm suggesting, in other words, is be aware of it. Uh, When I talk to friends privately, uh, when I go to, and I probably will uh, over the next couple of weeks, a so-called Christmas party, or sometimes they say holiday party, but wait a minute, Let's be honest, there aren't really any holy days right now either. Uh, Some will talk about Hanukkah, and um, yeah, but Hanukkah is not an explicitly scriptural holiday. Okay, the point is, we don't have to split any of those hairs. I don't have a problem with people that believe they're celebrating the birth of the Mashiach, and um, even if they don't know his real name, even if they don't know his real birthday, even if they don't know much of what he said. Are they closer to the truth than those who hate everything associated with Scripture? Perhaps. Are they at least more likely to be a little trustworthy? Sure. A lot of people uh, will be in that camp that will put their hand on a Bible. They'll swear to preserve, protect, and defend a constitution. And they would be willing to die for it. Those are the kind of people that I, I want on my team. If the opportunity arises to talk about some serious scriptural stuff, I'll do the best I can. And we'll try to do it in a, in a loving and open fashion to say, hey, have you ever looked at this? Have you ever looked at that? Everybody here listening, I think, has a clue about what I'm talking about. And the point is um, to, uh, to make a, a division where we don't have to just serves the adversary and the things that they have been working so hard to do anyway. All right, here's another example. Now, this one is uh this is particularly poignant out here in the uh, the rural Colorado area because there are a whole lot of people that have uh, have come to understand, hey, you know, open carry is perfectly constitutional. Matter of fact, by the way, so is uh, so is just about anything if you understand shall not be infringed. But wait a minute, we could get real divisive on that one real quick, couldn't we? Well, how about can we simply understand that yeah, open carry is constitutional, it's legal, and it's lawful? And there's nothing wrong with it, but yet it's also become one of those litmus tests for the far left. Because guess what, folks? Same people that are wearing their masks and taking their poison poke aren't going to want you, because you're one of those people, to open carry. And lastly, and I've already kind of alluded to it a half a dozen times, yeah, the poison poke itself is intentionally divisive exceptionally so, because the whole idea of authoritarianism is to say, not only can we force you to kill yourself, we'll force you to kill your kids. If you don't like it, we're going to put you in a concentrate Oh, well, we wouldn't dare do that here, would we? Answer, if you really see the, the bottom line and how far it's gone, things that could have never happened in a once-free country, even a few years ago, honestly, If you can't see where totalitarianism—the kind of totalitarianism that says my body, no, your body, my choice—then we got a we got a long distance between the two camps. I've got a couple other examples. We'll probably come back and touch on some of those in a a minute or two. We're at the bottom of the hour break. But I do want to note, once again, we are dealing with a satanically evil and intelligent adversary. Part of the clue here is to understand that – These people have been working, and and the master that they serve have been working for generations, arguably hundreds of years, to get to a point where uh, they are very close now to pulling, uh, if you will, the final solution. That's probably a particularly poignant way to say it. Hitler managed to kill millions. The intent here is to kill billions, and we've seen how successful they almost were, and uh, guess what? They haven't yet given up at all. So our goal needs to be to say, can we find common ground? Can we learn to work with one another? Even if we don't agree on what we would all admit are very important things, even vital things. But if we could just learn to talk to one another, we can keep working on those. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to the second segment of the show for this evening. I'm your host, Mark Call. And today's show is a bit different, focused on some, I guess you'd have to say, difficult topics, but certainly, I hope, valuable and even literally, ultimately, a matter of life and death. And I call the show, uh, Can We Find Common Ground or Do We End Up On Death's Ground? And um, what I had proposed – and I'll come back to this uh, in a minute, but I'm also going to lay out some of the uh, other related elements that will help us to kind of explore the reasons why this is important. Anyway, what I had proposed – is, is kind of a two-tiered system of understanding for the kinds of networks, the kinds of communities that we had better start putting together if we haven't already and fast. And if we've been trying to put together those communities and we find the division that has been so carefully engineered to destroy people, destroy families, and destroy communities, then the, how do we combat that? And uh, yes, there are going to be those of us who would say we understand this is a literally spiritual war. And I am uh, at the top of that list. I completely concur. On the other hand, can we hit people with that and, and rub their noses in it? Not if you want to be successful. Uh, can we blow the shofar? Yeah, but uh, even when it comes to blowing the shofar, uh, there's a right way and the wrong way to do it. So what I'm going to suggest is uh, one of the things that seems applicable and apropos to me is kind of a two-tiered system. Because um, for those of us that are not in what um, has been called a covenant community, and that would be, I, I suspect, the vast majority, uh, the only covenant communities I knew of, there were one or two up in Idaho decades and decades ago. I knew some of the principles involved. We actually flew the plane up there and looked around. And uh, as it turned out, like so many others, they dissolved and fell apart over time, too. But the idea of a covenant community is we're going to find people of like mind, or well, we, or so we think. There's part of the problem. And, and we'll sign a covenant. And the covenant has to do with mutual defense, and it has to do with mutual support, and all kinds of really wonderful sounding and good things. And yet, um, it turns out if the adversary can divide us over little doctrinal issues and so forth, we can make those things fall, fall apart too. So let's just let's just posit this up front, uh stipulated, if you will, if we were in a legal court, that uh, we're not talking about a covenant community. In the case of the place where I'm living, there have been a lot of people, many of us here for years, others that are beginning to realize that they're coming out of her, and I think that's a blessing. We're seeing lots of people, um, young, old, all ages, that are saying, I want to move out in the middle of nowhere, I want to come off-grid, and um, I'd like some support and some help. Well, great. Those are precisely the kind of people that I would like to welcome. But in any case, how about the others that are the mask wearers and uh, Kool-Aid drinkers that have been here for a long time? Yeah, many of them understand. We still need to support one another. You still need to be able to call somebody if you uh, you know, have a flat tire in the middle of a snowstorm. But what about those things that they're not going to believe yet? All right, because um, here's, here's the issue that I have. Most Americans, especially those that are in the cesspool cities, they don't have a clue what's coming. Many that are off-grid and that have come out uh, will say, yeah, I see that things are getting harder and I certainly see that there's going to be food inflation. I don't think they are yet aware, folks, of just how ugly it could get, the 72 hours after a complete breakdown kind of a thing, when the ATMs quit running, the uh, electronic benefit cards quit functioning, and there's no uh, there's no steak or no hamburger or even no cat food on the shelves at the local uh, Kmart. Well, then what? Well, this is the tier 1 level again. This is the kind of thing where people need to be able to say, "Okay, can I trade with somebody? Do I have skills? What I trust them to tell me that there are bad guys coming in the, uh, you know, the north entrance to the uh, to the area here." All of those kind of things are important. And again, I call it a tier one because I think I don't have to necessarily trust them to keep a watch over my house, uh, you know, on a 24 hour schedule or to do other things that I would say, oh, that's for, you know, confidants and close friends to understand and we'll talk about scripture and so forth. But there is this tier one idea of, um, do I trust them at least enough to be able to trade with them? Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll want to take a small group when we trade. But those are the kind of things I will contend Given that most of us who are paying attention know are going to be necessary, those are the kind of things that we have to be able to do. And uh, certainly I'm also inclined to say, hey, you know, we want all of our neighbors, even if I don't agree with them politically, even if I I have major differences with them on Scripture or uh, uh, wearing a mask or whatever the case may be. I don't want them to perish. I sure wish they would understand that the poison poke isn't doing them any good. Can I talk them into it? No. But can I help them any way I can in the meanwhile? Sure. So that's part of the goal here. And uh I've mentioned the tier one or the first tier thing. In other words, people that we need to be able to trade with, maybe they have some skills. Maybe they can fix your car or fix your solar system or uh, fix your plumbing or, um, you know, fix your uh, your back if it goes out of joint and he's a chiropractor. I mean, I can think of all kinds of good examples. You know, you, you break a leg. Do you have uh, somebody who can set a leg in the vicinity? All of those things can be vital skills when they need it. How about a dentist, right? We could go on and on and name all kinds of stuff. I don't have to agree with them to say if you you know, if, if he's the only guy that can take out a tooth or fix a problem that's causing you pain, um, well, it would be good to be able to get along with that person enough to be able to uh, to share to our mutual benefit. So that's the tier one level. Uh, the tier two level is the um, is a little bit more important, but um, also quite a bit more difficult. Cooperate and live, right? And and this is the place where we have to say, well, who do I trust? And ultimately, what can we agree on? I, I contend, and I'll be honest here, and I think anybody that's listened to this show for any period of time knows, ultimately, the creator of the universe is is going to be the final arbiter, of who lives and who dies. And uh, if you want his blessing, as I have said I don't know how many times, well, what does he say? He says it too. I have laid before you this day life and blessing, death and cursing. So choose life that you and your descendants might live. What does that mean? Well, if you love me, keep my commands. Scripture is so abundantly clear on it, and yet, as we all know, the vast majority of Americans, even those that would call themselves Christians, don't believe that. They don't believe it enough that they're going to eat what he says is food and not eat what he says is not food. They'll eat their pork sandwich, even if it means that uh, the next Chinese bioweapon may take them out. Can I make them not do it? Nope. Can I hopefully, over time, get them to realize just maybe there's some value in that scripture, that book, and they ought to read it? Yep. Can I do that if we don't talk? Probably not. Is it possible he can fix them and that we can just simply pray about it? Sure. Again, I'm not suggesting that there's a one-size-fits-all complete answer here that always works for everybody in every situation. There are going to be those, literally, and that's what scripture tells us too, who one way or the other will choose death. And um, like it or not, we know that there are gonna be a whole lot of those people. So where does that leave us? I'm gonna go through some, uh, some articles. I said I'll, I'll, I'll do these fairly quickly here. But one that I think really helps to make this, this point comes from Kit Knightley via Off Guardian, Zero Hedge Had It. And it says, most of the Western world is no longer in lockdown. Yep, they tried it. It was pretty successful, but a few people uh, are waking up and saying, I've had it with that. I'm not going to put up with that anymore. Well, guess what, folks? They got a plan, and they'll come back with it, and almost everybody that's paying attention knows, oh, yeah, there'll be more lockdowns. It'll be nastier. This will be the Ebola monkeypox, or we won't call it monkeypox because, well, you know, we got something more politically uh, correct to sell you. Anyway, the vaccine mandates, uh, well... At least for now, they seem to be loosened, and mask wearers are increasingly and distinctly a minority, even in the cesspool cities. So, have we gone back to normal? Well, come on, who are we kidding, right? A totally broken economy, more centralized financial power, dozens of alarming precedents for future deployment of the bioweapons of the totalitarian lockdowns, millions upon millions of people that are probably the walking dead. They've been injected with the Zyklon B under false pretenses, and uh, who knows? Can they be saved? Maybe. Let's pray about it. Let's see if we can't get them to strengthen their immune system. But for crying out loud, don't keep injecting yourself with poison. But what does it mean when you look at the bigger picture? Well, you know what? Turns out there's been a lot of focus on China. While the rest of the world lives with China, people in Chinese cities are still subject to absolutely Orwellian levels of lockdown, control, and surveillance. Up to and including, we saw this with a bunch of people that died in an apartment fire here a week or so ago, being welded, locked inside their own homes. Fire official, fire people weren't allowed in. Those that were burned alive in the buildings weren't allowed out. Oh, so sorry, but you know, hey, we've got a lockdown to mandate here. Well, um, there, there are some leftist mainstream explanations. And the, the article says, yeah, let's rule these out. We know it's not because COVID is a real booga booga flu, uniquely dangerous. The data has made that clear. What's dangerous and what's deadly are the things that are being done in the name of supposedly combating it. We know it's not because lockdowns work. They don't protect the health of anybody, neither do the masks. The data has spoken on that. We know it's not because the Chinese government so deeply cares about the lives of their little peons, right? Come on. And we know it's not because they were the victim of some bioengineered viral attack by the West. Well, OK, I'll, I'll say maybe. Uh, certainly um, the uh, the evil ones in the communist left in America. And you know the names, Covey and uh, <laughs> I almost said Comey, but um, I guess he's just helping to cover up um, America's Dr. Mengele, Tony Fauci. Uh, Peter Daszak, and a whole lot of others that have been caught lying about gain-of-function research. Uh, things that were shipped from the Ukraine. Uh, thank you, Hunter Biden, to um, to the, um, the Wuhan lab, and so forth. Uh, who was it? Well, answer, um, they're not going to tell you. But what we seem to know is that it's the satanic evil all over the place that was cooperating. Isn't that amazing? Not really surprising, though. So here's here's what I think is the the key observation in this piece. If you accept the fact that the COVID pandemic was in fact a global psyop carried out by literally the cooperative governments of most of the world working in concert at the behest of what? Uh, the various extra legal, extra national, um, globalist, United Nations oriented NGOs, World Economic Forum, you name it, all kinds of uh Major power brokers. People would say, well, it's the Bilderbergs, it's the Rockefellers, it's the fill in the blank with the evil, basically satanic entities. And you know, I tend to suggest, it does seem pretty clear, ultimately they're all serving the same master. But regardless, it de facto follows that any apparent differences in the approach, in other words, between the uh, the American totalitarian approach and the communist Chinese totalitarian approach, or in their attitudes – because these are cooperating governments at least when it comes to killing masses of people they serve a role in the narrative in other words why would they seem to be at loggerheads in some areas but when it comes to destroying the world they got a pretty close agreement there now they have different methods though this is uh, i would call it the good cop bad cop thing but somebody has to fill that role. Well, that's the Chinese role, the bad cop. The brutal zero-COVID approach allows Western governments to say, see, see, we may be totalitarian, but we're a kinder, gentler totalitarian. We're moderate when you compare us to the really evil ones. That works in both directions. Uh, China can say, oh, look, see, the West doesn't care about their people. They're not locking them down and burning them alive in apartment fires like we are, because we care about you, you peons, and, uh, even if it kills you. All right, Here it is. It's called a false binary, a fake choice. I like the term heads I win, tails you lose. And it, it enables both totalitarian regimes, the western one and the eastern one, to corral each other's dissidents into a controlled alternative opinion. Now, applying that to the local level, what does that mean? Look, you can see it writ large, even in a small, tiny, out-in-the-middle-of-nowhere, off-grid community. you got your mask wearers, your your Kool-Aid drinkers, and you got those who are saying, I'm not on that team. And yet, most of them will say, well, on the other hand, if there was really a bad thing that came, maybe I would wear the mask. Maybe I would take the poison poke. Do you see? The false binary is still there. And um, even among those that, at least for now, seem to be on the right team, seem to have seen through the dupe, you can guess, you can rest assured that Big Brother has learned some things about how to manipulate, control, propagandize, and oh, yeah – up the ante the next time around. So be prepared for that. It's part of exactly what we're talking about today. Uh, in The Guardian, that's the leftist rag out of the U.K. A couple of days back, uh, the now ubiquitous Devi Shridhar actually defended China and their tough decisions on their zero COVID policy. Because, you ready for this? How's this for idiocy writ large? Their vaccines aren't as good as our vaccines. They want our technology. Oh, good grief. All right. The West says we don't need those brutal lockdowns because we have the magical vaccines. And uh, the unspoken corollary, well, we'll need to do the lockdowns again if the rest of you slaves out there don't knuckle under this time around and take the new monkeypox, Ebola, or you'll bleed from the eyes poison poke. Do we trust them? Well, not if you got half a brain. Meanwhile, China gets the blame and blames all of that on Western selfishness. Oh, they won't give us their technology, and so yeah. You know, basically, again, it's a it's a false dichotomy. Before the year 2020, it was never suggested because people weren't that stupid that lockdowns would be used the way they were used. Um, And now the uh, waste stream narrative, whether it's communist China or in America, what are we hearing? Well, the lockdowns might have appeared to be unethical, unconstitutional, illegal, downright totalitarian, but hey, they saved millions of lives. And, you know, the unspoken um, truism of the left is the ends... Always justify the means. And you got to break a few eggs if you're going to make an omelet. Kill a few peons, right? Maybe we kill a whole lot of little baby peons. China's COVID statistics are the same way. They are um, a contrivance. Remember, in in this country, there were PCR tests and the bogus numbers to uh, people that died uh, with COVID as opposed to died of COVID. Uh, Now, one thing is for sure. They're not going to die of the vaccine. They'll probably be hugely dying with the vaccine. Isn't it funny how sometimes the narrative can be used one way and the other time the other way? It works as long as you don't have half a brain to recognize the contradictions there. So, says this piece, the COVID narrative in China, the zero COVID approach, is a vital piece of the overall pandemic narrative and strategy, and it produces a deliberately stark contrast. Look how good we are, look how bad they are, and we are far less draconian, but what? only by comparison. And it still allows them to uh, to play both ends against the middle and uh, and argue that even though we killed millions, there would have been more. How are you going to know, right? There, be, there would have been more that died. Each side is controlled by their ideologies, not realizing their own loyalties are being used to position them inside what's called the Overton window, the permissible spectrum of opinion. For example, this is one that's being used against people they will call right-wingers. China's socialist practices are bad, they believe. But wait a minute. We have our wonderful capitalist pharmaceutical companies. They must be good because they're not communists. Can you see the problem here? Ultimately, they're all totalitarian, and they won't point that out to you. So what I want to do next is spend just a couple of minutes on a really good piece. He is making a slightly different point than I will. This is Professor John Lott, and uh, he has his own website. Zero Hedge put this one up, Real Clear Politics and others. Talking first about the New York Times, leftist rag. If you only read their editorials, you might believe that political violence is inherently and only a right-wing problem. They've been warning about it for years, but on November 19th and 26th, they wrote two long editorials making the same vapid claims. The violence is enthusiastically spread spread by MAGA types, Republican politicians. Of course, they got their teleprompter reading um, Alzheimer patient to uh, to parrot to that narrative. They even paid for um, the only electoral votes that are the only electoral donations they made to the Republicans were to far left far right candidates that they thought as fringe that they thought well maybe they'll be easier to beat in the general election the times has recently too pointed at various um, mass-murdering criminals and said they're right-wing extremists. In May, they claimed that the uh, mass murderer in Buffalo, New York, was a political right-winger because he was racist, racist, racist. He listened to a video on a site known for right-wing extremism, as opposed to what? The far-left New York Times. Now, you wouldn't know it, says Lott, from reading the Times, but that Buffalo killer was, in fact, yet another mass murderer motivated by what? Kind of like the... Um, the, the extremist, the the bomber, the mad bomber of, of a couple decades ago, environmental wacko with his manifesto. He self-identified, the Buffalo mass murderer, self-identified as an eco-fascist, and I'm quoting, eco-fascist national socialist. And a member of the, get this, mild, moderate authoritarian left. I'm a mild, moderate, want to kill you leftist. I guess you can only be mild-moderate in comparison with what? People that will just openly tell you they intend to kill you. The murderer argues that it's capitalists that are destroying the environment, so hey, we need to destroy you. The And I'm quoting here from the manifesto, the trade of goods is to be discouraged at all costs. Huh? What have I been talking about this show? Well, folks, we're going to need to trade goods to live, trade services to live. Uh, this guy will just truly love the coming famine. And you know what? I'm not kidding. They will, because the point is to kill as many people as possible. That's why they love so many of the things we've been seeing. Um, Lott goes on to note, look, there was a New Zealand mosque killer back in 2019, and also an El Paso Walmart killer. Both of them issued manifestos, almost like the same FBI handlers wrote it for them. They were word for word similar in so many places. And yet, the New York Times calls them far right. But it's the manifesto that seems to put the lie to that. They declare that conservatism is dead and that global capital markets are the enemy of racial autonomous. See, they want to kill some people based on their race. Well, sometimes the New York Times and others will call people racist and who do they want to kill? They want to kill white males and so forth. Again, the, hy- the hypocrisy here should be obvious. But what Lott goes on to note is that of the 82 mass public shootings in the last four years, 9%. That's one in 11, have known or alleged ties to, so they say, white supremacists, neo-Nazis, or anti-immigrant views. But of those, many, 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 like the Buffalo murder, are environmental Nazis, authoritarians. Another 9% of the mass public shootings are carried out by people of what? Middle Eastern origin, even though they make up only 0.4% of the U.S. population. In other words, they are vastly overrepresented, while whites and Hispanics are underrepresented. And most, in fact, of these mass murders have no identifiable political views, but uh, arguably, maybe they do have identifiable um, FBI handlers. Now, he is making the point that the WAPO and others are uh, trying to hide environmental extremism. I I will say there's another element to this. There's a narrative to push. And if you remember the uh, Colorado Springs Club Q shooting uh, just a week or two back, uh, this turns out to be, no, not the right-wing extremist that the leftist press was uh, harping on and pushing for several days. Oh, well, wait, as soon as it came out that he was a sexual whatever, gender-fluid, transgender, I don't know exactly what, wannabe, the story just amazingly vanished along with the the-them pronouns. That he wanted to be identified with. Okay, here's another quick one. This piece is kind of funny. It's intended for humor. Um, America's lunatic grandma, Hitler herself, is off her meds again. She um, she tried to outdo herself in the hold my beer moment with her unhinged theory about the 2024 elections. Oh, yeah, it's the right that's going to do that. But um, this week, there were stories out of Iran. Protests against oppressive, misogynistic laws led to over 14,000 arrests. Government decision to execute an unknown number of protesters. Um, and here's the key. Russian soldiers, or so they say, reportedly weaponized rape in Ukraine. And that, said Hillary, appearing with Christian Amampur, is equivalent to Arkansas having pro-life legislation restricting the abortion of innocent um, unborn babies. So many of us did a double take on that, says the piece, but not uh, Christine Amanpour of PBS. When the failed presidential candidate and nutcase of the left went on and uh, discussed women's rights, summits, tried to discuss discuss women's rights at the summit that the uh, Presidential Center for the Clinton Crime Family is hosting, Amanpour didn't seem the least bit disturbed by Hitler equating the saving of unborn babies. Get this: saving unborn babies is equivalent to raping and shooting women. Hmm. Okay. So abortion, I guess you say, is another one of those issues that is being used for divisiveness. But can can we not agree that if people uh, – I will suggest this. I, I can discuss with somebody who says, my body, my choice, that, uh, yeah, what if uh, somebody is raped? Do they have to carry the child and so forth? Yeah, we can discuss that. We might disagree, but that's okay. But on the other hand, if somebody literally thinks that abortion is a sacrament – to be encouraged at all costs and the, the goal is to kill all the babies and uh, to make sure that none of them survive and we want to poison poke them as soon as they come out or even now before they get out of the womb. Honestly folks at the point where abortion becomes a sacrament we may not be able to agree on whether or not it should be you know, done this or that in a legal sense but I hope we can agree something is satanically wrong here. And honestly, even most of the leftists that I would known uh, would have known over the years as uh, pro-abortionists would say, "Yeah, it's not a sacrament. I don't worship at the altar of killing babies." But guess what? There are a whole lot that do. And here yet is another one of those things where uh, the the truth becomes very clear. All right. Uh, So what do I want to what I want to close with? How do we how do we wrap all of this up? Again, I'm going to suggest that it's important that we understand. Yes, there are going to be a lot of things that are going to divide communities, large communities, small communities. This has been carefully engineered. It is no doubt about it. It is satanically evil. And it ain't easy. We're dealing with a, a force that is very intelligent and has a huge database in which to say, hey, here's how we divide people. Here's how we get them to kill one another. They're pulling out the stops to make that happen. So what can we do? I will contend again, what we can uh, can do is kind of divide our approach into two circles. Those people that we know in the long term, we're going to want to live. I don't want anybody to die. Neither does Yah. Ja. But um, we can trade with them. We can trade skills. We can trade, uh, uh, you know, I'll watch your back from this side of the mesa if you'll watch mine from the other side. And then we can have those who are, are more trustworthy, who we can talk about. And uh, and even if we de- agree to disagree, we can talk about our faith. We can talk about things that are important. We can talk about the more important issues of how we deal with what's coming. Because these these other folks aren't going to understand it until it's too late anyway. And many of them will already be standing on death ground if they make it that far. So the bottom line is, what can we agree on and build on? And I will suggest... We hold these truths to be self-evident, that we have a creator and our rights come from him, and from those fundamentals we work our way up.